You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th. And it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose. And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hey, Nick. Hey, what's up, Alex? Hey, we're back for part two. We are back. We're back for part two. Before we dive in... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before we dive into stage to screen play... Yes. Question for you. So you're coming out to LA soon. I will be out on the West Coast. That is correct. You will be out on the West Coast to be with your wife who's attending school in San Diego. Yes. Now, you are aware yeah. that San Diego is about two hours away from Los Angeles, correct? Where are you going with this, buddy? You do know. Now, you're coming from New York where if you want to get from A to B, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you have a subway. Yeah. You have a taxi cab. Yeah. Everything is about 45 minutes yeah. to get anywhere you want to go. You are aware that to get from San Diego to Los Angeles, you will have to drive a car. No. <laughs> and I, I seem to remember that you don't know how. I don't. Ooh, no he's sensitive. Ooh, he's, ooh, that's no, 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 no. There's no sensitivity. There's no sensitivity here. There's no sensitivity here, Alex. Here's what I want to say to you. Yeah, I will have to drive at some point. And I do want to learn how to drive. I do want to get like, and, and granted, here's what I'll also say. I do know how to drive. I don't have a license. I never got a license, but I do know how to drive. So I will make that distinction. But I want to say this. I the first thing that I will do when I come to your when I come to your coast is learn how to drive, assuming that it is safe for me to learn how to drive with this pandemic raging. That said, you also have the Pacific Coast uh, Surfliner up the coast. I I knew you were that trust trust me that is not an option. That that is, that is like a that is like a fun diversionary taking the train up the coast. I love if you that had to train. be in LA for an audition or something, or to come see your best friend. Taking the Surfliner is such an expensive, like, time-consuming thing to do. Hey guys, listen up! I'm on Cameo. Okay, I'm on Broadway Plus. Come at me. Let's make some money together so I can take the Surfliner <laughs> up the coast. <laughs> Oh man, we're so broke. Little Justin, little Justin, little Justin. Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome to <laughs> Little Justice, Little Justice, the the broke podcast, broke by broke. We ain't got. I it. will. I'm I'm keeping that one in my pocket, the cameo thing in my pocket, because that I can I can pay you thirty dollars and you For, legally uh, forty five, sir. 
45. $45. Oh, you upped your, you upped your yeah, rate yeah, yeah. to up. make you say whatever I want. I can turn it down. I can decline to do it. Yeah, but you wouldn't do that. Not to me. If you were paying me to do it, then no, I would not turn you yeah. down. Yeah, you'd do anything for $45. No, i do anything for your $45. You, that's, that's you specifically. That's like 20% yeah. of everything that I've got. Mm-hmm. More listen, dude. Listen, the pandemic—it's so crazy. We're doing a on the podcast that shall not be named to uh, the day of this. Oh recording. my god, you can name it. You keep calling it the podcast that not be named, but I—I I don't care. Well, it's the Chaos Twins, and we're a talk show. We're not a podcast. We're a talk show. But yeah, on that, there you go. You're a talk show. We're a talk show. But I know that we're we're better than that. We well, we should bring. That's what we should do. Is we should bring Sasha on because I've never. She met her. actually would love to come on. She, yeah, we can talk about this. Yeah, yeah. We will bring Sasha on. Brand synergy. Yeah, brand. Get the brands together. Get them together. Get them bouncing off each other and then you can come on the and chaos then you don't have twins. to like tiptoe around it the show that will not be named like it's not voldemort <laughs> or is it or, or is, is it? it but no we, we're gonna do a, an episode actually the day of this recording on financial advice and, and stuff of that nature and it's just so funny because yeah this pandemic man it takes takes your money takes it your definitely money. takes your money it does not replenish your money yeah i'm in the midst of of uh i, I started getting into real estate investment last year and so I uh, am managing rental properties in upstate New York, which has been a challenge in and of itself. Um, but it's an especially interesting time to be doing that where like people just renting has become different. <laughs> the expectations of things and, and rent price, it, it's been a real adventure. It's It started crazy and then COVID happened and now... Adventures in babysitting, dude. It's real. But we are back with uh, part two of our stage to screen adaptations. Our favorite stage to screen adaptations. Uh, the the stage play is this one, this 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 episode. Um, you know, and and we are very excited. I now I actually love um, I love stage plays that have been turned into movies because there are so many that we actually don't think about. There's so many movies that come from plays. There are a um, lot. There's yeah. a ton, and there's and there's the movies that are publicized that they came from a play, and then there's the movies that aren't. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think when Closer came out, I don't think that was ever publicized. Closer was a play? That's exactly what I mean. Yeah, Closer was a play. Patrick oh, Marble. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, an amazing play and makes an amazing movie. You know, but like people never, you know, when it's a, when it's a musical, it's a little harder to, to hide. But with a, with a good play, right. like for instance, uh, Leslie Odom, the guy who, you know, essentially gave me a job, is doing a, uh, did you remember that, that play that I did in Denver? Uh, one night in Miami. One night in Miami. Yeah, I love that. That was my favorite show you've done. It's it's my favorite show I've done. I really he's he's in the movie version of that that is being that oh, was did just got cool. just got directed by Regina King for oh, HBO. Wow. Yeah, that's gonna it, be good. It's gonna be amazing. It's gonna be amazing. I I love too when you watch something and you can tell like you know what this was probably a play or when you watch something and you have that thought and then you find out that it wasn't. And I think that that speaks to the writer, right? I think that that. You know, it all comes down to, and usually that it's a playwright. Yeah, who wrote exactly. A movie. Like, like, um, what's his name? Who did In Bruges and, and Three? Oh, Bones. Martin McDonough. Yeah, Martin who, McDonough. Who's like, okay, this guy's definitely a playwright, even though he hasn't staged these yeah. scripts that he's written. It's a definite playwright that it's wrote a play. it. But I think, yeah. I think that that what that comes back to is just a love of language, and I think that mm-hmm. I think that that's something that a lot of screenwriters discount, right? Because again, film is a visual medium. So you want to go to the visual first, but we sometimes can get can get bogged down in the fact that like good dialogue can take care of so much of, you know, of a film. And it doesn't have to be overly used dialogue, but just like solid, good 
dialogue. Like I, I think about The Wire, which is not a film, right? But oh, The Wire was famously to, to say that you think about The Wire is the understatement of my life. I think about The Wire. You don't so think often. about anything but The Wire. I really do. I really love. I love The Wire so much because it's the best piece of of writing on TV. I think in the past ten years, fifteen. I'm going to try again. I I have a confession is that I've never made it past late second season of The Wire. I've you got that's as far going. as I can get. You got to keep going. You got to keep going. If you're looking, if you need more action in your in your TV show, not the show for you. Like if it really is not the show where you sit back and you're entertained. It is the show that if you watch even three episodes in, four episodes in, you, there are payoffs because it is all callbacks. It is all prophecies coming true things that were subtly set up that all of a sudden blossom um but none of it is hitting you over the head it is it is it is very much like a a slow a, the slowest of slow burns but like once you get revved into it like we by the third season you're just cooking with gas because it's like now we're going back to things that happened in one and two and you know it's yeah it's freaking beautiful but all that to say the dialogue is pro- probably my favorite thing about the wire and that that dialogue was all written by. I mean, I assume that's that's why you love the West Wing, also. That is exactly why I love the West Wing. I love Sorkin. I love I love uh, David Simon. I love Dave uh, David Milch, who wrote Deadwood. Anyone who can just do things with words, I, I just think that we get so afraid sometimes of using words in film, and I think that words are powerful always, always. Well, there's um, that there's that old adage, uh, adage adage, some I don't know, uh, show don't tell. Yep. Right. Yep. And so you get, and, and they certainly teach you this in film school. And the whole thing is like, if you don't need to use words, then don't use words. And I, I, I think that can be true in many situations, but I think that there is also an art form to the song and dance of conversation Yeah. or even monologue, which is just conversation with the self. Right. Exactly. And even if it's flowered up, even if it's, if it's not realistic, if it's not how someone would actually speak, there's a real you know, art form to appreciate in that. And I want to push up against this because again, I think even if you're going for quote unquote realism, none of this is how someone would actually. Oh speak. no. Do you know what I mean? Like, like we are, we are giving you, you know, when you are writing a script, play script, movie script, whatever you are giving us the best hits, right? You are literally going through and like the thing that would take the normal person five, six, seven tries to get right. You are putting it down on the page as their number one. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, there's nothing natural about about this. So I always, whenever I hear that concession, I'm like throw that out the window. Do you know what I mean? Like we are talking about a heightened reality, no matter what your story is. And the only choice that you have is, are you going to be blatant about <laughs> that heightened reality or not? I think that's what I hear when I hear realism or not. And I think that, you know, if we're talking about these writers, I think that the way that dialogue can be a misdirection, it can be show don't tell, because I think that good dialogue you know, you can learn something about the characters and they can talk about things that have nothing to do with mm-hmm. plot. I, you know, again, going to go back to my boy. Who's my boy? Who's my boy, Alex? Tarantino. Oh, Quentin yeah. Tarantino. Some of his some of his best dialogues are when you have characters, he drops you in the middle of a scene and the characters are talking about things that ostensibly have nothing to do with the movie that are just like their favorite song on the radio or this this meal that they had the other day or you mean just these random things but that teach you about character without telling you character yeah i i got a really good note on a script a long time ago it was early on i hadn't written much and and the note was that the dialogue i was writing you know the the characters are saying 
too directly what they're feeling. Yeah. Like people don't talk like that. Real people, they lie, they misdirect, they talk about other stuff, they deflect. Real good dialogue doesn't actually say what it's saying. At all. Right? There's there's something else that, that then the actors can take and, and work with it and bring it to a new level when they perform it. And there's a whole, there's whole depths to simple words. Well, and think about it. Think about it this way. It's like, again, you want to talk about show, don't tell. If you allow the characters to pull you in, it comes down to, can I hear you writing this? Or is this the character speaking? Is this is this Alex speaking or the character? Alex, the writer, wants you to know that Johnny feels sad today. Right? So he says, I feel sad. And that's Johnny's line. But how would Johnny do that? Johnny would come into the kitchen and maybe, you know, maybe he picks, you know, he makes himself some toast, but like, Maybe the toaster's broken, so he has to hit it one or two times. He, you know, maybe his wife's looking at him a little weird. You mean like there's there's so many ways to say that. And then in his dialogue, maybe his maybe his dialogue is terse. Maybe he's like, you know, speaking in like three word sentences that day. He doesn't really want to talk to somebody that day. That tells you that Johnny is sad without ever saying, I am sad today. Yep. You know, even even going back to Shakespeare. You know, um, thinking of a sad character, Antonio in The Merchant of Venice, his first line is, uh, in sooth, I know not why I am so sad. He doesn't say, I am sad. He, the first thing he says is, I don't know why I'm sad. So already he's made it active. Already we're not worried about the actual emotion. He's on a pursuit to find out why. So yeah. even that is misdirection. And I think it's all just applicable to writing, you know, to, to writing 101, you know, just, just show, don't tell. Um, but I think you can do that with words. And and I love I love stories and plays, especially stage to screen, that do that. So yeah, man. Do you want to go first? Because I feel like I feel like this is one where we probably didn't choose the same one. Uh, the chances are a lot slimmer, uh, especially because you kind of just have a broader knowledge of uh, of sure. these things. Sure. I couldn't I couldn't think of a ton because my mind does immediately go to to like Martin McDonough to to things that yeah. are play like, but maybe not even from stage and and things I definitely haven't seen. But there is one film that stuck with me uh, since I saw it when it came out. And I knew when I saw it, it was based on a play. And I, yep. I would love to see it staged. Yep. And so to me, and, and honestly, it relates to uh, last week's topic uh, of musicals and what makes an effective musical. Something very, very important to me is clarity of tone and clarity of theme. Theme more than tone. I want to know from the get-go, what is this about? Yep. And then I want to see a master crafting a story that sticks to that theme and explores that theme uh, with with clarity and presence and power so that you can, you know, th- there is nothing wasted. Every scene, every character, every interaction is saying something. Even the, the name of this show is the theme and it starts off exploring it and it doesn't stop the whole time. Oh, good for you. I love that. Great pick. So we open... Uh, in 1960s Bronx. This is New York. It's an early morning. Uh, a boy is getting ready to go to school. He gets up. He goes out. Um, passes people on the street. Uh, he goes to uh, a Catholic school. And they have morning. You know, he's an altar boy. He gets ready. Meets his friend, uh, who's also an altar boy. You go through the sermon. The father gets up. And he asks, What is Doubt. That's the topic of my sermon today. Last year, when President Kennedy was assassinated, who among us did not experience the most profound disorientation? Despair. Which way? 
What now? There was a time of people sitting together, bound together by a common feeling of hopelessness. But think of that. Your bond with your fellow being was your despair. It was a public experience. It was awful. But we were in it together. Doubt can be a bond as powerful and sustaining as certainty. When you are lost, you are not alone. Ugh. Ugh. This movie. I could, the I could film, speak for The film is doubt. I mean, this is... Even knowing nothing about the staged version of it, even knowing it, 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 it felt to me you could word for word you could take this movie and put it on a stage, which I assume it's I mean, probably yeah, not it's far off. Pretty close. It's pretty. It's damn pretty close. close. Yeah. Which yeah. I. But the translation, the, the the actual filmmaking, and Roger Deakins shot it. Yep. Um. I don't know if you. It, oh it's, no, no. Yeah. It's beautiful to look gorgeous, at. It's, it's gorgeous. It's articulate. The cinematography is articulate. Um, and the blocking and the performances. And it's basically about a Catholic school where uh, the head nun, um, who's this real, you know, sharp, she's like, almost like a stereotype of what you assume yep. <laughs> the head nun at a school like this to be. She's really strict with the kids. She's very, you know, she's just, she's just poisonous with everybody. Always, you know, wrinkling up her nose at every single thing. Uh, she gets it in her head that there might be something with the priest and one of the boys. Never any distinct evidence of it. Um, you know, there's never anything direct. She just, it's, it's about the seed that gets planted and how far can you take that before you, you know, ethically, morally, whatever, can't pursue it anymore. Uh, and it's, it's Meryl Streep versus oh, Philip Seymour, Seymour Hoffman, Hoffman, which is, you know, it's like watching two titans, like, and then you also have Amy Adams, who's always incredible, and freaking Viola Davis coming in and like mm-hmm. saying, "Hey, hey, world, here I am. I'm ready to be a star now." And ha- and at that point, had been in the had been in the theater game for years, um, but this was a role that and was just, just came, like came crashing through the door. Oh my god, yeah. And 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 it's one of those things. I remember watching. There's one. There's one scene in particular, and I I may just cut it in in its entirety. <laughs> yep. Because it, I've watched it on YouTube, probably thirty times because yep. of of just how precise it is dramatically. Yeah. It uses visual metaphor. It uses it uses everything it has to to. God, I don't even know how to describe it. <laughs> I don't yeah. even know how to describe it. It, it. it for the same reason that I love There Will Be Blood in terms of how it handles greed. Yeah. Right? Where where in every single scene, if you take the word greed and you slap it up on the screen and watch yes. the scene that's playing out, the scene is about that. Yes. Right? You will you will be able to find uh the concept of doubt in every single scene of this movie. Uh, And it's about how people lie. It's about how people get these thoughts in their head um, that they maybe don't want to have or know they shouldn't have. It's about uh, dealing with simplicity versus complexity. It's about, it's about so many things and the whole film becomes this playground for drama.
Now come in. A third party would be required. Yeah, what was Donald's mother doing here? We were having a chat. About what? A third party would truly be required. No, sister, no third party. Me and you are due for a talk. You have to stop this campaign against me. You can stop it at any time. How? Confess and resign. You are attempting to destroy my reputation. You keep opening my window. What are you doing in this school? I'm trying to do good. Even more to the point. What are you doing in the priesthood? You are single-handedly holding this school and this parish back. From what? Progressive education and a welcoming church. You can't distract me, Father. This is not about my behavior. No, it's about this is yours. about your unfounded suspicions. That's right. I Just have Just leave suspicions. that. It's not important. I will decide. What's important? You know, funny story. So we and so Sarah Moonstruck is one of Sarah's favorite films, which was written by written, written John and directed or uh, no, not directed, written. not directed, but certainly written, written, directed by Norman Jewison, but written by John Patrick Shanley, for which he won an Oscar. I think he did. In fact, they screened Moonstruck at the at uh, the Museum of the Moving Image, and then there was a talk with John Patrick Shanley afterwards. Now, I have never seen John Patrick Shanley in person I've seen so many of his plays you know I doubt obviously Danny and the Blue Sea really especially like when you're studying theater like mm-hmm. you get you get thrown a lot of John Patrick Shanley you get thrown a lot of John Patrick Shanley and you watch this movie which is like so New York and so like specific New York and like he just has like he has this this kind of Italian American Irish American dialect down right like these these worlds are just like boom there for you then the movie the movie ends and he's sitting there and they ask him a question he opens his mouth to speak if this man does not sound like every character that you just heard (laughs) on the film and it was like i mean he literally sounds like nicholas cage in moonstruck that that is who he is (laughs) and it was fascinating because like oh it's like the write what you know and it's not about you know him knowing you know, what it's like to be a, a man who, you know, makes bread in a basement and has his hand cut off and, you know, starts an illicit affair with Cher. But like he writes about his world and pru- and doubt, sorry, doubt is a perfect example of that uh, where, you know, Catholic school and that he talks, he talked about that in his talk back, all these larger than life characters and dealing with this thing. He also, I, I love doubt because doubt deals with, in a way that very few writers who aren't black can deal with he dealt with what it's like to be a Mm. token in such a and she only has one scene like it really is just that one scene um for viola davis but like the you know she is the mother of the of the son who is suspected of having of being victim to this this illicit relationship with um philip seymour hoffman and meryl streep's character comes to her and says you know uh what do you want us to do about this how do you want us to Proceed, you know, we, we need to get him. We need to get him away from your son. And she's like, Sister, you ain't going against now. no man in a robe and win. He's got the position. And he's got your son. Let him have him then. What? It's just till June. Do you know what you're saying? No more about it than you. I believe this man is creating or may have already brought about an improper relationship with your son. I don't know. 
I know. I am right. Why you gotta know something like that for sure when you don't? What kind of mother are you? I mean, number one, it's, there's a sense that she knows that he is different. And by different, you know, like that she knows that he is, that he is probably gay. And he's also a black student. Mm-hmm. And his father doesn't understand, you know, him. And the school, if she's like, if you're telling me that he has to choose between a father who's going to beat him and this school where this man has taken a shine to him and, you know, whatever the nature of their relationship can be a safe space for him. That's why his father beat him. Not the wine. What are you telling me? We're talking about the boy's nature now. Not anything he's done. Which is such an, an amazing conversation to have. Oh my God. Like it, it's such a heavy, heavy, heavy conversation. Conversation. And had had so quietly too. It's never, never again, never explicitly said. Never explicitly said. And I think it's elevated by that point, right? Because uh, there is a reason that Philip Seymour Hoffman's character cannot there there there's obviously something that he's hiding. Yeah. Um and I think the analysis of the f- of the film that I buy the most is that his character is gay. Yep. and can't do anything about it. That's what makes sense yep. through his manner he he's obsessed with with clean fingernails. He's like where's my fingernails long but they're clean look how clean they are. Yeah. Um it it's a, it's about keeping order in your house which is exactly what Meryl Streep is about. Yep. And the confusion that sets in when people cannot be open with each other, yep. when people have only, you know, they're, they're rigidly confined by society, whether it's race or sexuality or religion or anything, they're put in these confinements. And because of that, they have to hide things about themselves that then cause other people to distrust them. Yep. And that's where doubt comes from, is not knowing who someone else is. And suspecting that they that there's something going on that might need attention. Yeah, really, it really is just a beautiful exploration of that that theme, and and takes you down the rabbit hole. And again, can't speak it, you know, can't speak enough about Meryl Streep. You know, I look at young Denzel, and you see you see just an incredible incredible work with him. But in terms of somebody who has sustained and and only has only gotten better mm-hmm. as they've gotten older. Meryl Streep is it. I'm sorry. There, I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis, like you can say Daniel Day, but and Daniel Day is incredible. But he also, I think that Daniel Day kind of like, not that there's a cheat to Daniel Day, but the, I love Daniel Day. But Daniel Day makes a movie every 10 years. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he has time it's, to sit. It's a and, whole different thing. Meryl Streep is a master of her, her craft. Yeah. You know, Daniel I, Day is, is almost a freak. <laughs> he's, he's, he's just like, he pops in when he wants to and he does an amazing job and then and then he leaves. He's not concerned about about finding the next great thing and and beating it to death and creating something out like Meryl Streep will finish a movie and she'll go straight on stage and she'll finish a play and she'll go straight back to movies and she's like she just loves working and that's the thing like and you see her I'm sorry I have never seen a Meryl Streep performance that I didn't like I saw Mamma Mia because Meryl Streep was in it and, and she I was, was like great. she was great she was fun she's having fun like it's just somebody who truly clearly enjoys what they do yeah and and loves that play of what they do and you know from somebody who started as like this this small supporting character in deer hunter to where she is now right it's just like i mean and before deer hunter she was doing new york theater for years and yeah it's just like wow you it was interesting to me um i was very excited when the film version of august osage county was coming out yeah because the stage version was so phenomenal 
and it's Meryl Streep and it's all this stuff. Um, I was a little disappointed by by that. I heard I heard that one didn't come out so great. It didn't hurt. Well, and and I think that it that can be a problem with translating stage to screen is like if you're not doing anything new with it, if you're not using the tools at your disposal, yeah, to to maximize everything, then you're doing it wrong, right? You can't just you can't just assume it's going to work. Yeah. Um, I watched a movie recently. I can't even remember what it is, and the reaction I had was that was pretty good, but you could have anybody direct that and it would look the same way, yes. right? This could have been, it was like somebody took a good script and they just did the work and then it came out the other end with no voice, with no flavor, with no style, with no, you know, deeper, anything like that. I think, I think doubt seems like a movie. And again, I haven't seen the stage version, but it seems like a movie where, where they, they really dug into what it was about and they cared very, very much about creating the world and creating the characters and being real um, and, and knowing the limitations of the screen too. Remind me, do you ever leave the, uh, the, the, con- the, the church in that, in that in doubt? You're pretty much in, always in, on the grounds. Pretty much uh, or, or outside the grounds. I mean, the film starts um, in, you know, the kid's house and walking down yeah. the street and you, you get within the periphery, but most of it, yeah, it takes place uh, uh, in or around. Yeah. Yeah. So, it really, um, it's amazing. So, uh, yeah. Doubt. Doubt. You have the slightest proof of anything. But I have my certainty. And on with that, I'll go to your last parish and the one before that. If necessary, I'll find a parent. Trust me, Father Flynn, I will. You have no right to act on your own. You have taken vows, obedience being one. You answer to us. You have no right to step outside the church. I will step outside the church. If that's what needs to be done, though the door should shut behind me, I will do what needs to be done. Though I'm damned to hell. You should understand that, or you will mistake me. Doubt. I don't doubt that you will love this movie. I don't. Go. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. Go At go all. watch and that. R.I.P. Philip Seymour Hoffman. What a. I mean, seriously. <clears throat> let me tell you, loss. that's another one who I think is. I mean, and I, I, you know, all the way back to Twister, um, when he was playing Dusty, the yeah. crazy, the crazy storm shit, like Love just that. somebody who just just clearly loved the work, and I everything. He was one of those actors when he died that my mom called me up and she's like, I know he meant something to you. And like, it was his work was just always everything that I wanted to do. I just thought he was just magnificent. I mean, someone else who, who just really, who pays attention, who's there, who's there to get dirty, who's yeah. there to like get really do, do the work, do the job. Yeah. The only time I ever saw him in person uh, was at school in New York because he lived around NYU. Yeah, he lived right there. And he would just he would just walk around the streets. He was in sweatpants. It was like yep. November. And he would Chilling just walk. Out. His hair's going in 18 different directions. He's just big, you know, baggy shirt and these sweatpants and sneakers looking like a homeless person. Probably just going to work. <laughs> yeah, just chilling. <laughs> he, I loved, I saw, I got a chance to, um, uh, well, I actually didn't get to see it. Oh my God, I, but I, I wanted to see. He did a production of Othello at uh, at Skirbel, at NYU Skirbel. It was him and John Ortiz as part of, I think it was part of the Labyrinth Theater Company. Um, and I would have killed to see him yeah, as Iago. Geez. I feel like his Iago would have been just stellar. 
yeah, Philly, Philly sees we love you and thank you for everything you left us. Um, you know, you're incredible. Um, but yeah, man. And another another Philip Seymour Hoffman film that dealing with theme uh, is The Master, which watch oh, that yeah. if you haven't, because that's yeah. another very poignant where you can tell he knows what that movie's about and he's doing yeah. everything he can to to get it out. Yeah, it really, yeah, he Incredible. is, again, just a gift of an actor and just anything gift. you watch him. And, and Capote, yeah. you know, I, I know everybody loves Capote, Capote. but that is tr- <laughs> truly, truly the tip of the iceberg. Uh, yes. For Phil Seymour Hoffman. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a quick an advertisement break to, to pay for things. But when we come back, we will have everybody. some money, 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 movie money. choices for you. We will be right back after these messages. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. <sighs> okay. So my movie that, was, that started as a play is definitely different than doubt but also when you're talking about um a movie that zeroes in on a theme and then just goes for that theme this movie certainly does that doesn't put the theme in the title but from the from the very opening you understand what this movie is uh watching it you know i'll say this so the first place the first way that i was going to go with this was amadeus um and we will talk about, I, I will bring Amadeus into this at some point in, in the future because I, I will look for it. I love Amadeus. I love Amadeus. I also love Amadeus because, uh, funny fact, so Tom Hulse, who plays Amadeus, is the uh, lead producer on Ain't Too Proud on Broadway. Oh, no way. Um, so whenever, and I've, I have not, I haven't even told him this yet, but like, so like my, you know, when this, like we talked about, Ain't Too Proud was my first, you know, my first big lead on Broadway, and I cannot wait to go back at some point. Um, but you know, the first, the first, your first two weeks leading a Broadway show, especially when you're coming in as a replacement, are insane because everybody is trying to get used to you, right? The whole building has functioned around how a certain person's rhythm has gone, and now that rhythm has changed, and they're all trying to figure out, okay, what's your rhythm? And because you are the number one, it all goes from the top down. So I'm getting, you know, literally at every half hour, I'm getting sound texts in there saying, can you can you do this a little louder? Can you do this a little quieter? I'm getting, you know, hair and makeup people in there like asking me how, you know, how I want my makeup today or how I want my hair today or whatever. And then for about three weeks straight, I would have Tom Hulse come into my room. And just sit down and like he, Tom Hulse and Ira Pittleman, who are the producers, and I'm not just saying this because it's the show that that will employ me when this pandemic is over. Um, they are two of the best producers on Broadway. I have yet to look that man in the face and be like, sir, I need you to know that your performance changed my life. 
I have not said that to him. And I don't just mean Amadeus. I also mean the hunchback and hunchback of Notre Dame. Um, I'm like, I just, every time I look at him, I'm like, I just see his little, his face. And I'm like, oh my God, you were Amadeus. And I was playing at the party and the, that oh. whole improvisation scene getting chased around by the girl. Yeah. Oh my God. He's so, he was, oh my God. He's iconic. So, iconic. And such, and, and such a hard part, right? Because you have to play this asshole, but also he's a genius, but also you have to care about him. And he thread that needle so well. Um, and I, I just, I had it. no idea. Yeah. Me, me, I mean, yeah. And I, yeah, I've loved him for a long time. So it was originally gonna be Amadeus. And then I was like, no, we can do a little better than that. We can we can get we can get some some deep deep cuts. So I chose a movie that is a movie again. I think with both Sweeney and this, these are both pieces that I will kill to do. People always ask you when you're a theater actor, like, what roles do you want to play? And I always it's so funny because I always say this this title to you know kids who mainly study study musical theater, and they're like, what is that? I'm like, well, you need to learn what this is because it is one of the best plays ever written. We open with some super 80s looking title cards like black titles again with like a blue glow behind them and like like they they kind of like ripple as like a like there's like a train passing by we open up on a city uh you know and we open up on a phone booth and an old man is in sitting in a phone booth trying to like he's talking, he's just talking real fast, trying to. We don't know if he's trying to sell something, if he's trying whatever. And there's just a look of just forlornment on his face. And then Ed Ed Harris gets into the phone booth next to him, and he's he's selling some things. And then they're like, "Are you going to the meeting? What what meeting?" They have a whole conversation about the meeting. And we show up at the back of their office, and there's a stacked cast. Jack Lemon is the old man. We have, like I said, Ed Harris. We have um, Kevin Spacey. Before we knew Kevin Spacey's past, we have, um, I was about to say Alan Alda, but it's, it's, um, oh my God, why am I forgetting Alec Baldwin? No, well, Alec Baldwin is there. He's pacing. But the, the actor that I'm talking about is, of course, Alan Arkin. Alan Arkin. Alan Arkin. Alan Arkin. Arkin. The people in that, in that room are, are Jack Lemon, Alec Baldwin, Ed Harris, Alan Arkin, Kevin Spacey. And... Alec Baldwin is pacing. He's like, are they all here? Because I'm going to go. And they're waiting on one more. He's like, no, I'm going anyway. And he r- rips into this speech about how these guys are pathetic. And how they need to always be closing. And that is, of course, Glengarry Glen Ross. Let me have your attention for a moment. Because you're talking about what? You're talking about... Bitching about that sale you shot. Some son of a bitch don't want to buy land. Somebody don't want what you're selling. Some broad you're trying to screw, so forth. Let's talk about something important. Are they all here? All but one. Well, I'm going anyway. Let's talk about something important. Put that coffee down. Coffee's for closers only. (laughs) You think I'm fucking with you? I am not fucking with you. This movie is heartbreaking in a way that I had forgotten. I had forgotten how how messed up this movie is. And I love so a lot of people don't like Mamet as a as a writer. I love Mamet. People think that his that his writing is too robotic. 
he very much writes for rhythm and 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 he writes it you know his theory or you know he's very famous for what his theory is purported to be which is like just say my words and they will work don't act these things just say the words and truthfully if you just say the words they will work the words are powerful and he uses a lot of repetition and he used a lot of like broken sentences. Characters do not use pronouns often. They just jump right in the middle of the line. And it's all to give you a, a sense of quickness, right? He's writing about dirty, dirty, dirty people. That watch costs more than your car. I made $970,000 last year. How much you make? You see, pal, that's who I am and you're nothing. People who are like on the grimy side of life. And Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross is no exception. And, you know, this kind of race to the finish for these for these salesmen to sell these leads, kind of like a precursor to the wire, because the, the, they're just it's such such just such an impossible task that one of them comes up with the idea to steal the good leads. Right. Because the leads that they have to sell these properties are bunk are terrible. So like, well, I don't, I'll just go in there and steal the good leads. And then the second half of the movie is like. After the the leads have been, you know, the the place was ransacked and somebody tried to steal the leads, the, you know, the kind of interrogation that happens. It's a big decision, George. Times a guy's got to make one. And it's a big decision and it's a big reward. Twenty five hundred and a job. It's a big reward for one night's work. Yes. You know, sometimes a guy. Sometimes a man, if he wants a reward. That's absolutely right. But it is truly just like a playground for these actors to go to town. And it and it's and it really is heartbreaking because you just see what just like the American ideal, yet again, does to the psyche. You know, these guys are broken down. They are they are truly broken and they are racing and they are trying anything they can to to get these leads, you know, and the Famously, the Alec Baldwin opening monologue is actually not in the play. Um, you never really? see Alec. Yeah, yeah, it's not in the play. It's it was subsequently added to the play after <laughs> after the movie. But like even then, like a lot of progressions that I've seen still don't use it. But it is so necessary. Interesting. Yeah, I figured that that's like the whole point. It sets up the stakes perfectly. Perfectly. Yeah. The the play opens with uh, Jack Lemmon's character Shelley. And um, Williamson, Kevin Spacey's character in a in a in a in a booth in a Chinese restaurant, like, and Shelley's trying to convince Williamson to give him the good leads, right? And, and Williamson's like, no. And it's just the dialogue in that scene, like the dialogue in all these scenes. I mean, it's just heartbreaking. It's just um, it's just crazy. Shelley, yeah, you ready to do or die tonight? Oh yeah. Always ready, John. Now, one thing, we were talking about the leads. I understand we've got some new ones. Yeah, that's what we're going to talk about at the meeting. Here we are. Because I'm running into a little bit of a snag. Yes, I've seen your sales figures. That's the leads, John. You give me a better lead. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Personal bind. You understand personal problems? I could use a leg up. After the meeting. I hear the new Blen Gary leads. After the meeting, Shell. Well, so, so in terms of the translation from stage to screen, what do you think... Besides Alec Baldwin's monologue, what what do you think the movie did that enhanced or or brought out differently the the story? Oh, gave it gave it more locations. You know, you're able to see more of the space. So the the play literally just takes place. Act one is three is three scenes in the same Chinese restaurant. Act two is the office after it's been ransacked. That's it. 
the movie the movie allows you to see the street outside the Chinese restaurant the train overhead you just get a sense of the world for these guys it allows you to make home visits right Jack Lemon goes to somebody's home and is like let me try to sell you on this so you're able to see them in action so there's just a little more fleshed out like you you end up I think honestly you end up caring about these characters a lot more than you do in the play because in the yeah. play they're kind of just like these these fast-talking assholes in the movie you really get the there's a little more breath and you get yeah. the time and I really again I'm going to go back to Jack Lemon because his performance in this movie is um I mean it's it's pretty spectacular it's um you know Al Pacino gets the gets the accolades and he got the Academy Award nomination for this but let's not sleep on Jack Lemmon. The you know the the character of Shelley, who actually Al Pacino ended up playing in the in the most recent revival, is really like the kind of the Willie Loman of this group. Like he is just the person who, if the if the play is about the American dream and what the American dream does to people, Shelley Levine is at the end of his American dream, and he is mm-hmm. fighting with his last breath to hold on to any semblance of it. And Jack Lemmon imbues him with such you know because and especially because it's Jack Lemmon. So already we're walking in you know, having our memories of this guy as just like a, you know, just like a good old, you know, good TV comedy. We love his work guy. Yeah. And to see him so broken and to see him trying to keep that facade up is just, oh, your heart goes out. And when he's finally revealed, spoiler alert, when he's finally revealed as the guy who who did over the office, the descent for him is so heartbreaking. It's at this moment where he thinks he's got Kevin Spacey's character beat and then he says, well, he gets too cocky and he says one wrong thing that lets Kevin Spacey know, oh, you're the guy that bumped off the office. You are so full of shit. You robbed the office. Oh, sure. I robbed the office. Oh, sure. You assholes. What did you do with the leads? <laughs> you want to go in there? I tell him what I know. He's going to dig up something. You got an alibi last night, Shelley? You better have one. What did you do with the leads? If you tell me what you did with the leads... We can talk. Yeah, well, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. If you it. tell me where the leads are, I won't turn you in. If you don't, I'm going to tell the cop you stole them. Mitch and Murray will see that you go to jail. Oh. Believe me, they will. Now, where are the leads? I'm walking in that door. you got five seconds yeah, to tell me or you are going to jail. Yeah, I don't care. You understand? Yeah. Also, I mean, you know, the other reason I chose this movie is because the most creative uses of the word fuck... <laughs> I was wondering if you're going to bring that up or not. Yeah, no, we got it. The language is colorful. He, there is colorful language all over this movie. And it like, it just, it just, I, I'm sorry. When you hear a good swear, when you hear people who know how to swear, swear, there was nothing like it. I've been in this business 15 years. What's your name? Fuck you. That's my name. (laughs) There's nothing like good swearing. Well, yeah, there's a difference between swearing for swearing's sake and swearing with effect are you coming for me on this one no are you trying to, no you're not no, coming no, no. for me yeah yeah okay i'm not i'm not i'll no no I, i'm not saying that you that you i maybe sometimes you do but in you. in works of art right in scripts and books and screenplays there are, it's so easy to throw it out as like when someone's angry right to just have them say fuck this and fuck that and all that yes um to use it effectively though is a whole different story, and this is definitely a situation where where that happens, because they're they're they don't hold back. Alec Baldwin's a pretty. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember Alec Baldwin being a pretty almost scary dude. It's it's one of the. I mean, I'll you know, 
I'll I'll read you this and then you bleed into it with the with the actual performance of it. But there's a scene where Al Al, uh, Al Pacino's character, um, you know his Williamson, who's kind of the the office. Uh, he keeps he's the office manager. He keeps ordering the office. He he discerns who gets the leads and who don't. He screws him over. Uh, he he makes him lose a lead. And Roma turns to him, and he says. I'm going to read this. And again, I'm so sorry for all the language. You stupid fucking cunt. You, Williamson, I'm talking to you, shithead. You just cost me $6,000. $6,000 and one Cadillac. That's right. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it, asshole? You fucking shit. Where did you learn your trade, you stupid fucking cunt, you idiot? Whoever told you that you could work with men? Could I? Uh... Then he goes, and then he goes. I'll tell you something else. I hope you ripped the joint off. I can tell our friend here a little something might help him to catch you. You want to learn the first rule? You'd know if you ever spent a day in your life. You never open your mouth. Till you know what the shot is. You fucking child. It's ridiculous. Oh, it's love like, that. It's so good. And it's like not even like, again, he's not overusing the swears, but it's just like he's placing them so perfectly yep. that you, you're just watching this man get eviscerated. <laughs> it's, oh my God, I love it so much. I love it so much. And then and then Jack Lemon at the end, like I said, is just, you know, he thinks he's he thinks he's won and then Kevin Spacey comes back in. And it really just is about this concept of like when you are living in a society that is dog eat dog and, you know, and, and there's only one prize, everybody gets vicious and people lose. Everyone loses. Everyone loses. And, you know, he, he did this, he kind of, you know, American Buffalo, which is his other most famous play, um, which was turned into a movie that I have a, I have a soft spot for but is not as effective as Glengarry is. Glengarry as a movie is much more effective than American Buffalo. You know, both of these movies are about people trying to con the American dream, trying to like take that gamble and make that sale and and steal that thing. And, you know, it really just watching these guys go head to head to head. You mean you talk again, you talk about Meryl Streep versus Philip Seymour Hoffman, Al Pacino versus Kevin Spacey versus uh, Ed Harris. Do you mean like insane? Insane. So, so I mean, both our films, like it, it, there's definitely it's it's uh, kind of like a, a set amount of characters, right? I mean, Glengarry, I'd say a small amount of characters, but it's, yeah. it's not tiny, it's not small, but it's it's a, a defined. It's cast, large, right? Large, large for a play, but it's I mean, it is large a small for a play, cast. but but small cast, one yeah. or two locations, like small locations, yep. uh, with just which I guess makes sense. Um, are are there examples? of really good play translations that are completely different, that are, that open wide up to the world and are not I think, focused on the performance as much. And, and the Amadeus is certainly one. Yep. Amade- yep. Amadeus definitely. I hadn't even up. realized that Amadeus was a play. Oh dude. Amadeus is incredible. They actually just did a, an amazing production uh, in, uh, in the West end back in, I think it was like 2017 yep. uh, with one of my favorite actors, this uh, black man, I forget Lucia, uh, Lucius. Oh my God, I forget his name but it was an incredible production and they had like a live orchestra on stage playing along. And like, it was just, well, I watched it on the, uh, 
on the on the YouTube when the you know now that the uh, the West End is putting a lot of their shows on YouTube and it was gorgeous to see. Um, also, Angels in America, which is a miniseries, they made it into a miniseries smartly because Angels in America is such a big task for one film, but that piece um, on stage yep. definitely definitely um, definitely spans a lot of time and place, but like a lot of that is supposed to be done minimalistically, like. It's more just like we say we're here and now we're here. Do you know what I mean? As opposed right. to building the grandiose sets and really placing you in this crazy fantasia, which the movie does excellently. I was going to say one flew over the cuckoo's nest, but that really just sits in the in the in the hospital. So maybe it, that's it. The- does, but for some reason, it feels more organic. Yeah, the the dialogue is not play like in that. No, it's not. Like it may, maybe not. the characters in, in you know the setups yeah. are are a little bit stagey, but but it feels very much like um, you wouldn't know it's based on a play. Watching, no, it, right? You wouldn't. It's a good. It's a good idea for a movie. It's effectively played by all the actors. Um, the world feels real. I would also say Dangerous Liaisons, mm-hmm. um, and Streetcar Named Desire. Okay, um, those two definitely. I mean, yeah. stre- Streetcar certainly feel. I think Streetcar. And maybe because of the era in which it was made, it feels like a film. Yeah. Um. You know, because it's uh, it, you know, so many of the films of that era were essentially just like, like Casablanca, and we talked about this uh, when we when we recorded the the uh, the the quarantine movie podcast. Um. Or the my wife has left me for grad school podcast. Uh, <laughs> Casablanca certainly feels like a stage play. Well, I think a lot of movies of that era do because they had the same confinements, right? Yeah. A movie was a filmed play where you build a set and the, the cameras weren't going off the set very much until like Hitchcock started to do it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. a lot of the early films were, and, and and you get that, like you, you, you wonder why, why do all the actors sound, why do they intone things like this? Like why, why is, is this being vocalized? like this why are they acting because it's not natural at all but if you think about someone performing a movie from the 30s or 40s on a stage it actually makes it makes sense why everything is kind of rigid and proper and and inflected you know makes a lot of sense there's a lot of yeah makes um sense. one thing I, w- I was curious about i i had an original choice uh that i was going to pick for this and i because I, I was sure it was based on a play. And then I looked at it and it wasn't. It was which based on, on a teleplay, which is 12 Angry Men. Oh, yeah. Which is, you know, 12 people in a room and that's it. Talking. The whole thing is just people sitting around talking for the whole time. I was like, that, that's got to be a play because that's a perfect play. It's not. It was developed for TV and then filmed. Um, wow! It's probably become it probably went the opposite direction. To be honest, I, I can't imagine they haven't staged it in one way or another. Um, yeah, I'm, but I'm Twelve Angry Men, according to the Wikipedia, it's, it's based on a teleplay. No, that's incredible. That's yeah. really yeah. I would have thought that would be absolutely be a play, right? Um, but no, good for them. And that, again, and that's I think that that speaks to kind of the nature that can be you know very true. Is is you know, look if you have a good idea for 12 guys in a room. You know what I mean? Like if you, if you like, I'm sure you have a good idea for that. I love, I love single location. I, I love, because I love pop. I was more talking about just having 12 guys in a room. Sounds like something you'd be interested in. You know what? Yeah, man, I would, I would love that. (laughs) 
and because I'm a you know a man who understands that sexuality is a fluid thing and you know we can we can have you know many many loves I mean I'm I'm life. sure that we'd put you in a room with 12 people and you would come out with a play I would I would that, that's what would happen that's exactly what would happen it would be a great play it'd be called 12 people decide to kill Alex Smallo honestly I'd see it I know you would man I'd see it that's because you have an issue. You know what that issue is? You're a masochist. Yeah. Gotta work on that, bro. Gotta work on that. Really not okay. Really you weird. You got it. You got it, bro. You got it, bro. But yeah, so uh, Doubt and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. You be as cold as you want. You just fucked a good man out of $6,000 and his goddamn bonus because you didn't know the shot. You can do that and you're not man enough to say it gets you. I don't know what. If you can't take something from that, then you're scum. You're fucking white bread. A child would know it. He's right. If you're going to make something up, John, be sure that it helps. Hmm? Or keep your mouth shut. So, yeah, um, I got to watch Glengarry again. Yeah, and I got to um, watch Doubt again. Glengarry got... Uh, I, I Before I'd ever seen it, I'd heard about it because of the all-male cast. It has kind of that reputation because on film, it was like a strange thing. There, there's no female performers in the film. At all. Although at all. I will say, I am the biggest advocate the biggest advocate for an all female production of Glengarry and my dream. So if I, I, my, my, my first dream is that I want to play Ricky Roma. My second dream is that I want to watch Ruth Nega play Ricky Roma. Ooh. I feel like Ruth Nega would, she would de- yeah, destroy well. it. Not yeah. to mention the other ways you could fill the rest of the cast. Oh my God. No, I mean like I'll shoot. I have that cast stat. Are you kidding me? Meryl Streep, Meryl Streep is Shelley. Um, Ruth Nega as Ricky Roma. Um, I would love to see... Uh, let, me, let me look at this cast list. Make sure I'm getting everybody. Um, you put... Uh, if you're going to do the Alec Baldwin, I think that's Tessa Thompson. Okay. In a, heart, in a heartbeat. Um, for the Kevin Spacey... Just based on her Westworld character alone? Based on... I mean, just based on her. Like, just her... There's just something where, like, when she talks, people listen. And I think she could kill that for the Ed Harris character. I mean, you could go a lot of ways with that. I could certainly see like a, um, like Kate Blanchett. You need somebody who can really do character. That's what you need yeah. for, for that. Um, that's why my mind went there. Um, uh, I would love to see, I mean, I, I could see Amy Adams as the, as the Alan Arkin part. I could also see like, what's her name from Booksmart? Just somebody like, cause I would love to see a young yeah, uh, Moss. I would love to see a young Moss and like somebody who's not schooled, and that that could be great to have like a young. Well, actor. speaking of Moss, Caitlin Deaver, Elizabeth Moss would probably be. Oh, Elizabeth right Moss. That. Elizabeth Moss would be great as as she'd, as uh, she'd as fit Moss. right into that whole dynamic. Yeah. Oh my God, that'd be great. Um, and yeah, and then you know, I mean, it would just be a stacked cast, dude. You could really have some fun with that. But instead, would... we get uh, Ocean's Eight, which I loved. Did you? I loved it. I will say, I thought Ocean's 8 was a ton of fun. I thought it was a ton of fun. Better than Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters was a misfire. That Ghostb- was a misfire. Because here's, I will say, this is what, this is, here, here's, and this is, you know, again, two, two cis straight men talking about this movie, or these movies. Here's what I will say. I think that when you are doing, if you're going to do an all, an all women reboot, which like, go for it, do it. Absolutely. Be, be free. Um, I think that you have to really... You just, I mean, just like any other movie, like just define your movie. What is the world? Um, yeah. What it, well, I, I, if you're if you're gonna do it, it had. I mean, if, if the whole idea is let's like gender swap a famous IP, 
then you have to have a deeper reason than that. It's not like, okay, we're going to fill it with female characters and then just write a normal comedy as it is. Because no, like there, there's the reality that you've done this for a reason. And it has to like, if, if you did it with Glengarry Glenn Ross, that talks to power dynamic in America, right? That talks to the modern age and changed. Literally just making that choice says something about something. Uh, Ghostbusters was such a misfire because it's like, well, okay. Like you just did this as like a almost like a marketing ploy because the movie was was written so flat like everything is so and it was well it was strange too because i think the thing that they missed was in you know the thing that makes the original ghostbusters the movie is not about anything like nothing happens these characters don't change it's literally just these three dudes and a black guy fighting ghosts right but the thing that makes it work is that between egon vinkman and and spangler they have three distinct personalities and three distinct brands of comedy and you had brilliant comedians. You had Kristen Wiig. Uh, 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 oh my God. I'm going to kill myself for missing these people's names. Because one of them was my camp counselor from... What? 2000. Um, <laughs> dude. Dude, we're going to get into that in this, in this episode. Aquafina? No. Are you... Aquafina wasn't in... <laughs> Kristen Wiig, Melissa McCarthy, and Kate McKinnon. Kate McKinnon was my camp counselor at Northwestern. Uh, cherubs in 2008 Wait, really yeah 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 man huh I, I i yeah i i she was and also i will say because that camp was this ended up being the site of some huge racial injustice but she was one of she was like the the shining light in that experience she was she was awesome yeah she really made my summer um but yeah you have three incredibly or four and leslie jones leslie four, jones yeah four incredibly distinct brands of comedy and yet it was it was was almost like they all wanted to be the bankman like it was almost like you wrote them all as the bill murray like i'm in it but i don't i don't i'm in it but i don't really care about it. it's like no you gotta let one of them be the egon one of them be like that's that's what makes that work it's like it's like three stooges but in in ghosts do you know what i mean like yeah i just i was like this you you did these actors a disservice um be specific get be specific with your world and that's just a rule for any good movie be specific you know, so yeah, man. But but you know, I I would love to see that that version of Glengarry, and I will. I hope that we get to see it. And I, you know, I I honestly yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if it, I want it. Yeah, please. It makes, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a huge even amount of even sense. even if only on stage, maybe. Yeah, um, I mean, but I, on on stage, and then maybe a movie after that. But it's like, yeah, Glengarry is definitely a story that we need right now. I think, um, you know, because it just speaks to the moment. But yeah, doubt and Glengarry, man. Excellent, excellent choices. Uh, excellent choices, you both know, of may, them. Maybe, yeah. m- maybe next week we can talk about musicals that that I started writing with you that you abandoned me on, and yet still contractually you're going to get paid for. You never sent me the goddamn contract. Yeah, I didn't send you the contract. I don't have a contract, so you you could still steal my work. Which like ripe lawsuit. I'm sure we have emails and texts yeah, 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 that yeah. abound with you confirming that I was the creative, you know, center point. No, not that you're the creative center of this point, show. That emails and texts that abound that I show that I had to drag you along. <laughs> you're like, all right, all right, all right, and then you gave up. Is but, this where? Where is this? Is this is what part two of the Bloody Boston trilogy? This is, I mean, in the in the chronology of the Bloody Boston trilogy, this is part three. Well, yeah, part part. No, it's I guess it is part two because because this ends tonight is actually where I'd I'd want it to be. Uncle Jackie, Whiskey Land, this ends tonight. 
That's what I want. Cool. Well, yeah. as long as I get my royalty check, you're I'm not fine. getting shit. <laughs> you're not getting shit. I'm staring at a poster with your name on it. I'm like, why is his name there? He did not contribute cool. anything. Yes. To this fucking show. It's it's my life's work to make sure that the two weeks of lazy songwriting I did for you becomes <sighs> pays for my grandchildren to go to college. I want that for you so bad. So bad. <laughs> yeah, man. Incredible. Well, there you go. Amazing. All right. Uh, well, yeah. yeah. Get at us. Um, well, you just, do this part. No, yeah. Little Justice Pod on Instagram and Little Justice Pod on Twitter. Get at us. Yeah. Let us know what you get think. Get at us. Let, let us know uh, if you have episode ideas too. If you want to hear hear us, if you have guest ideas, if you want to hear someone come on, uh, we know people. So We do, in fact, know some people. Um, we have some ideas. Yeah. Let us yeah. know. All right, guys. All right. See you next time. Bye. Little Justice, Little Justice, Little Justice, fuck yeah. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists. What they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There is enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.